You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of timely topics that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics and how they'll unfold, we'll sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this podcast series. And in today's conversation, we're gonna examine the challenges and priorities that are keeping CEOs up at night as we head into the first part of 2023. We're gonna take a deep dive into our annual C-Suite Outlook Survey with a special emphasis on how focus areas vary by region. Joining me today is Dana Peterson, the Chief Economist at the Conference Board. Dana, welcome. Hi, Steve. It's always great to be here. So, Dana, we we do this, you know, major survey every year of CEOs and other C-suite executives. Can you just, you know, give our listeners a little bit on uh, methodology, where it was conducted, and so forth? Sure. This is a global survey, so it goes to most of the main regions throughout the world, the U.S., Europe, China, Japan, Latin America, and a smattering of other emerging markets. And this particular survey was fielded uh, between mid-November and mid-December of 2022, so only a few weeks ago, really. And we had over 1,131 C-suite executives responding, and that also included 671 CEOs across the globe. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a big number, 671. And and we've got lots of different countries uh, broken down in this. And so, you know, when you, when you look at the results from the CEOs, and that's what we're going to focus on today is the CEO's uh, commentary, but there are differences by region. I mean, we looked at US, uh, Europe, China, Japan, Latin America, and, you know, other areas. So there were some interesting similarities, but there were some big differences as well. Maybe you can help describe some of those key similarities and differences? Absolutely. Well, globally, there were kind of five or six things that all CEOs were focused on. So the number one uh, item was either an economic downturn or an actual recession in the economies that they're operating out of. Number two was inflation. Number three, unsurprisingly, was COVID-19 disruptions. Uh, Number four was global political stability. Number five was supply chain disruptions. And then number six was labor shortages. And so again, that's globally, that's what CEOs are thinking. But when we go region by region, there are some pretty distinct differences. So for example, the economic downturn or recession was the most prominent for the US, Europe, and also Japanese uh, CEOs. And that makes sense, especially as we're anticipating recessions in the US and Europe, and Japan is also seeing pretty slow growth. I would also, and it's also very present in in Latin America. But for China, the economic downturn uh, for them was second and COVID-19 related disruptions was number one. Now, this survey was taken uh, before China removed its zero COVID policies, but even still, now that those policies have been removed, we're expecting a lot of disruptions and uh, almost on the degree of economic chaos in the short run as the economy reopened. So certainly those things were very common, but inflation was the most uh, concerning, disconcerting for CEOs in the US and Europe, while volatility in energy prices were uh, in the top two or three for European CEOs, 
Japanese CEOs and CEOs in Latin America and the rest of the world. You know, COVID-19 stands for COVID from 2019. I mean, we're in 2023 and we're still talking about COVID-19, you know, all this time later. And really in China, you know, it's surging again, right? I mean, it, you know, recently, you know, we heard that 75% of the residents of Shanghai are are infected from this. So this is a real big deal still in China. And that, you know, that not surprising that the CEOs are concerned. Absolutely. And the reason why it's a, a huge deal in, in China is because they did not have broad uh, dissemination of vaccines, unlike much of the rest of the world, especially in the US and Europe. And so now that they're reopening all of a sudden and they don't have people vaccinated or even availability of vaccine vaccines, many people are getting sick. And so that's that's part of the chaos that I mentioned earlier in terms of reopening without the proper uh, medical apparatus in place. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, because it's clearly a concern with uh, Chinese CEOs. But you know, everybody around the world relies on China as their manufacturing center. So as all this chaos begins again, you know, you wonder if you took the survey today or, or you know, a month from now, whether COVID would rise again to the top for every CEO. Well, the key thing is whether or not uh, China reinitiates shutdowns, right? So they may be willing to have will allow people to get sick and be hospitalized. And certainly the hospital situation is varied across China. And in some places it's they're overwhelmed and other places they're not. But if factories remain open, then we may not see big disruptions in supply chains. And indeed, you know, supply chain disruptions were, you know, a key issue, but it was like four or five uh, for the US and China. Yeah. So this is a this is a big difference. So this zero COVID policy you know, that they had deployed before shut everything down. And so you just, you know, you couldn't get anything. You had to shut the factories down. So what you're saying is that this is a different strategy, not unlike what the rest of the world has gone through, which is, you know, maybe you can keep these these factories going, in which case, you know, then, then you wouldn't have the disruption. So it's, it's you know, still TBD, depending on how widespread the, the illness is, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, there were also differences between CEOs in different industries. Can you just take us through what you what you found? Sure. Across industries, and we looked at manufacturing, finance, and um, services, and, and and we also looked at companies by size. So whether they were making a million dollars or less, between a million and five billion, and then five billion or more. And really, across these industries, all of them said that an economic downturn was the top uh, external fear and, and priority and concern for them. Uh, after that, uh, when we looked at inflation, the financial services industry was the most sensitive to rising inflation, as well as companies that were kind of in the middle of the income spectrum, making anywhere from a million to $5 billion. Uh, but certainly labor shortages were the most, uh, 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 the biggest concern for manufacturing firms and also firms that have uh, a five billion or more in revenues. So those are some of the interesting breakdowns that we saw in terms of the top concerns across industries and company size. Yeah, and it's really not surprising, you know, in in uh, financial services, and that's you know an industry that you came out of specifically. So you're an expert there. But uh, <laughs> you know, inflation disproportionately hits financial services. I mean, interest rates and you know the borrowing costs, and of course. 
you know, it, it hits mergers and acquisitions as well as the, as the cost of debt changes, right? But, uh, but it's interesting that, uh, that other industries are not more worried about inflation. Well, I think other industries are concerned about other things. So, for example, labor shortages was really huge for manufacturing firms. And indeed, when we look across the spectrum of firms that are impacted by labor shortages, manufacturing is close to the top. Um, and that's because that requires people to physically come and work on the floor. And so if you're having difficulty finding people who are willing to physically come to work, you're going to face these severe labor shortages. And associated with that, you'll also have the inflationary impact of higher wages. The other interesting thing um, is that services firms were the most concerned about COVID. And again, that relates back to many services require people to physically come into work in person services like hotels and restaurants and entertainment. And certainly if people are afraid to come into work because of COVID, uh, that also generates labor shortages and pressures on wages. So I think the inflation is really, you know, indirect through these wage costs for these other services, uh, these other industries. Yeah, it's it, it, it's really a good point. And, and, you know, services, as you've pointed out previously, um, were just crushed, you know, in the pandemic because, you know, not only could they not get their people to come in, but also you know, well, there were shutdowns. But but then, you know, the customers also have issues as well and were kind of staying away. It, are, are we back to normal in services not all services are back to normal. Um, the services that are doing very well right now are experiential services. And, and what I mean by experiential are things that people can go and enjoy, like going on vacation. So for example, the airlines are, are doing well, uh, the hotels, the restaurants, anything uh, like you know sporting events are doing much better, but not all services are doing well. So for example, healthcare services are really struggling because of a lack of workers. So it's it's not it's not all good and that there's definitely differentiation by sector. Yeah, it, it is interesting, you know, the airlines are, have really recovered and and you know, typically when you go into a recession, the airline and travel industry takes a hit because there's less discretionary income, but every seat is taken and there's nary a mask in sight. So I think uh it, it, you know, that sure feels like a recovery there, but is that because of the savings that people had through the, uh, or is it just pent up demand? It's pent up demand uh, for getting outside of your house. Because again, with the pandemic, many people were sequestering at home either by because of restrictions on, uh, you know, because of shutdowns or because they chose to stay home out of, out of fear. And so now that, you know, uh, mandates have been lifted and travel bans are gone. Many people want to get out there and go on vacation. And so that's why we are seeing very strong demand for those in-person experiential services. Yeah. Now, inflation, as you said, is is really a top concern, uh, or, you know, almost everywhere except Asia. Why is Asia so different? I guess China, because they're more con just more concerned about COVID still. But uh, any other reasons? Well, I think inflation inflationary pressures may be coming off now for uh, especially Latin America because emerging market economies, their central banks really got out ahead of inflation and they started raising rates much sooner. And so those tightening rounds or, or the tightening situation is uh, probably complete or near complete. And we're seeing they're seeing inflation come off with more advanced economies like the US and Europe inflation really took off uh, later and central banks also jumped in 
to uh, address the situation later. And so they're not, they're only really potentially now seeing, you know, peaking and in, in, in some improvement in inflation, but inflation is still extremely high in the US and Europe, whereas it's coming off in Latin America. And in China, inflation is just a different story. You had intense inflation at the factory gate or for producer prices, but companies were not allowed to pass those higher prices onto consumers. And so many of those businesses basically had to just kind of swallow it. Um, but certainly as transportation costs and commodity prices came off, that was much more helpful for uh, producer prices, uh, but certainly consumers never really saw the, 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 ex the extent of the impact of inflation in China. But in Japan, inflation is rising. In fact, they've had the highest inflation rates in 40 years, and the Bank of Japan is considering raising interest rates for the first time in a very long time at some point, uh, either in the back end of this quarter or in the second quarter. Yeah, I mean, people forget that Japan is the number three economy in the world. You know, the the uh, the EU kind of gets lumped together, but that's not a country. It's a it's a it's a region, and for such a small country, Japan is just really really important. But they're they are they they act differently. They have their own currency, their own central bank. They've got you know a great domestic market, and so you really see big differences between Japan, their attitudes, and what's going on there in the rest of the world. We touched on some of the headlines in our C-Suite Outlook survey. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. As you and your company monitor the volatile and uncertain economy, the award-winning forecast team at the conference board predicts a downturn by the end of 2022. Recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation in decades. Yet. Unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, and as the conference board has always done, we are providing you with daily, timely, and relevant content that will guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges. To find out how you can chart a course for the future which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side, Visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession, located at conference-board.org slash topics slash recession. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Dana Peterson, who is the Chief Economist of the Conference Board. So Dana, the number three concern for U.S. CEOs is labor shortage. You touched on this before the break, but it really isn't a concern elsewhere. I mean, it's it's on the list, but it's not it's not at the top of the list. What's so unique about the U.S.? Well, I think uh, I think some of it has to do with the it, what happened during the pandemic. So, for example, in Europe, people didn't lose their jobs; they just lost hours. What I mean by that is they weren't let go; they just they stayed on the payrolls, they just weren't working. Uh, and so you didn't necessarily have the same dynamic as in the US where people did lose their jobs. And um, during that time, there was kind of a you know great uh, reassessment or the great um, uh, resignation where many people said to themselves, well, you know, now's an opportunity for me to switch industries. And so the labor shortages are not 
intense everywhere. Yes, every industry is facing some degree of labor shortages in the US, but the distribution of labor shortages are really skewed towards in-person services, manufacturing, transportation, and warehousing. And those are the industries that not only do you have to physically come into work, but a lot of them tend to be lower income, uh, lower wage industries. And so many people are leaving those industries and going elsewhere. And you didn't, you don't have those labor market dynamics in other economies, but labor shortages are an issue, certainly in Europe and Japan and China because of aging demographics. But in the US, you have the aging demographics plus the influences of the pandemic on labor shortages and certainly on the, the, the extent to which, you know, working uh, parents and also people who are caring for elders are affected. Yeah, this this uh, generational thing is is important. I mean, you see it not so much in the younger in, in countries that have younger populations like Latin America, China's a, a little younger, Eastern Europe and so forth. But in the more developed nations, it tends to be older, right? So obviously Japan's older, Western Europe, but yes. the United States, and you see a lot of boomers. But also China. China's the one emerging market where it is actually experiencing a significant aging in the population. And a lot of that has to do with the one child policy that was in place for many, many years, where now you don't have enough young people to replace the older people who are aging out of the labor market. Yeah, it's good, good, good point. But you know, the 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 boomers are taking themselves out of the market. I guess they have enough money to retire, and you know, they're used to you know they've been everything's been shut down, and so that that's a bit of an issue. Well, baby boomers are retiring. We're going to retire whether there was a pandemic or not. And um, when you look at the retirement data from the Social Security Administration or or even from the the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Retirements were pretty flat until 2008, and then they went almost vertical, and they haven't stopped because people, the baby boomers, are reaching the age of retirement. And unlike the great financial crisis where many people lost financial assets, financial assets actually appreciated materially during the pandemic. And also, unlike the great financial crisis where people lost equity in their homes, home equity actually ballooned during the pandemic because interest rates were low and you had this surge in demand for housing. So you had very different dynamics uh, that allowed people to retire on time. And then also, as you mentioned, many people did retire early because of, you know, they just were concerned about getting sick. Um, and so you, you definitely did have many excess retirements, meaning more people retired than, than the trend would have suggested. So it's not just, you know, baby boomers deciding that, hey, that's it. Um, it was going to be it for them in terms of their, their uh, working lives anyway. And the pandemic just accelerated some of the activity that was going to happen. Yeah, and they haven't come back at the, at, at the same rate. But so what is, you know, if, so if you're, what are the CEOs telling us that they're doing about this? Because this, this is a, you know, it's a generational shift here. Then, and they've got to do something different in order to keep productivity going? Well, CEOs are very focused on attracting and retaining talent. And that's that's true across across regions. So that's that's it's it's either one or number two for the US, Europe, Japan, and also uh, Latin America. But also CEOs are focused on uh, driving revenue growth. And some of that means either 
reducing costs, especially discretionary costs, or in the case of Japan and China, looking for new areas, new opportunities for growth in either producing goods or services. So that's that's really what what businesses are doing. Um, they're also engaging in innovation and digital transformation, which is a way to increase efficiency and productivity. So on the one hand, they're trying to keep the people they have and attract you know, the people they can, but they're also using deploying automation and using technology to help make up the difference. Yeah, and, and you know, this retention strategy is costing them. And so wages are going up and that's part of the whole inflationary spiral. Uh, yes, that is part of the inflationary uh, increase. I wouldn't say inflation spiraling because inflation looks like it's peaked at a number of of regions, um, but it's still high and elevated, certainly in the U.S. and Europe. Okay, the war in Ukraine obviously um, became an issue in February of 2022, so it's it's uh, not quite a year, but. Uh, obviously, Ukraine was very concerning to EU CEOs, not so much elsewhere. Is that just due to the proximity that, you know, the, the EU CEOs live in that neighborhood or are there other reasons? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people in Europe are being directly impacted by the war negatively. So the effect is either because they are they live in Ukraine and they're being bombed and or they've migrated out of Ukraine or they are subject to sanctions if you're in Russia or you're being subjected to very elevated energy prices because Russia has cut off access to natural gas and also more recently to oil and so many people are watching their energy consumption and so the war itself is right there, not only is it in their backyard, but it's directly affecting the lives of almost everyone in Europe in some form or fashion. In other places, it's more indirect. Uh, certainly, the war is affecting the prices of food, um, which does reach back to the US and throughout the world, especially in, in the MENA region in Sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Asia. Uh, but it's not people don't necessarily tie it to the war. They might tie it to something domestic or to blame politicians, that kind of thing. Uh, but we as economists know that the war is impacting prices for for oil and energy, which are inputs to many other things that people have to think uh, goods and services that consumers have to purchase. You know, uh, the least concerning item for CEOs, especially in the United States, but also a little bit in Europe, Europe, Japan, China was infrastructure. I was really surprised with that. I didn't expect it to be one, number one, but out of 25 factors, the very it's the very least concerning. When, you know, we've read so much and we've talked so much about running out of, you know, a railway uh, capacity, uh, running out of highway capacity, water is an issue, electricity is an issue. What's going on here? Why aren't CEOs more concerned about this? Well, I think infrastructure infrastructure is highly regional. So China, in terms of the the infrastructure race, is is probably ahead of most economies. They have invested significantly in infrastructure over the last decades, and so and even looking at you know, the green transition, um, you know, they are effectively the infrastructure is set up in some ways to, to do that. Where And also in Europe, infrastructure is not as uh, rundown as in the U.S., but the U.S., yeah, definitely infrastructure is extremely uh, poor. It would just to fix everything would take two trillion dollars, let alone making anything new. Uh, and I think it is surprising that businesses are not focused on 
that uh, to the degree as other issues. But, you know, if you're a business um, and you're, you can't find workers, your input costs are elevated and you're worried about growth and making those dividend and interest payments, infrastructure is probably low on the list, even though you know that's one input into why your costs may be rising. Um, but it, it also suggests that, um, you know, a lot of the, it, in the U.S., the infrastructure legislation that's gone through, uh, some of it's going to take a long time to be realized. Um, you can't build a bridge overnight. And um, people, businesses are probably not going to see the benefits for a number of years. And so maybe that's why it's not at the forefront. Well, it, 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 all of that's probably right, but it, it, it's also, you know, not a controllable. I mean, the, when I listen to you talk about the other things, they're all more controllable or, you know, more things that that that, that are directly um, impacted by their decisions. And I guess infrastructure is is uh, is not quite the same. You know, another item that was uh, that was interesting was were U.S.-China tensions. They were among the top four worries for Chinese CEOs, which that's not surprising, but it didn't even make the top 10 for U.S. CEOs. Why the big difference between the two countries? I think it's just I, I, I think it's just existential. So for, for China, China is looking to challenge the U.S. on every front, technologically, uh, in terms of infrastructure, R&D, influence both hard and soft, hard meaning militarily, soft meaning uh, ties and uh, with other economies. And that's part of China's goal. Uh, certainly China has these five-year rolling plans and that's heavily embedded in everything that they do. And it also affects what they're doing in their economy. So for example, China is looking to pull back on exports because it wants to be less dependent upon the rest of the world and make itself more robust against shocks, external shocks, but at the same time, it wants to have broad influence in a number of, of economies, especially emerging markets, to facilitate imports of things like you know raw materials and, and energy and those kinds of things. Whereas in the US, we don't have like a, a centralized policy that sticks for any amount of time. And you know certainly uh, policymakers are concerned about the strategic uh, competition between itself and the US. But for many CEOs, uh, the interesting thing is when we ask them about what are you doing about your supply chains, many of them said, we're not doing anything. So they are, they're anticipating that they're going to continue to be able to run their supply chains out of China and they're going to manage business as usual in some form or fashion. And they're less concerned about the geopolitical risk whereas for china it's 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 very central to their pol to the government policy and certainly the influence that government has on corporations yeah and then energy prices you touched on energy just in your comments just a couple minutes ago but they were top concerns in in uh, eu and japan the pricing not so much elsewhere why the difference in energy pricing as a concern sure well europe and, and japan are major energy importers whereas the US is a net energy exporter. And also in Europe, again, it reflects the fact that they are, they're being blockaded in terms of receiving energy from Russia and that affects the price for them. In the United States, energy pricing is somewhat different because again, 
we produce all of our own natural gas and we're able to export uh, natural gas and oil. And so if there are any issues, we have the option of potentially um, you know, satisfying our domestic, uh, domestic needs, whereas Europe and Japan don't have that liberty. So it makes absolute sense for economies that are net importers of energy to be more concerned about it. Okay, that makes sense. Now, uh, just to wrap up, some other areas that did not hit the top of the list. So, so we're not all, you know, not in the top concerns. We're, you know, their own competition, income inequality, climate events, industrial policy, taxation, energy cost volatility, cybersecurity. Any surprises in these items that were not higher ranked? Well, it's interesting. We, we asked about cybersecurity in the context of whether or not firms felt prepared for another crisis. And many firms said that they felt that they were. And indeed, when we look at the list of things that firms said that they were or were not prepared for, all the things they said they could handle were recent issues, right? So another pandemic or another financial crisis. They've lived, many leaders have lived and led through those types of things, but they were not able to uh, manage more uh, things like violence or climate events or food or energy shortages, things that were they haven't experienced much and or they feel are completely out of their realm of control. Um, so and when it came to ESG, even though it may have come in low on the list of things that CEOs were concerned about, they are very focused on ESG and the backlash, the growing backlash that we've seen from different quarters about ESG is not stopping businesses from being focused on that. And I think that would be especially true for those businesses that are public companies that must report their ESG activities. Uh, some of the other things you mentioned, um, probably aren't terribly surprising because there are only so many things that you can list in your top five or 10 uh, items. And, you know, we had a very extensive list and many of those are things that um, are very small in terms of, of high impact on the business or they're somewhat controllable. So I would imagine that's why some things were kind of at the bottom. Yeah. So just to repeat again, in the U.S., it's uh, the CEOs are worried about where this economic downturn is going, what's going to happen with inflation, how, what the impact is on labor shortages, and you know these these close in economic um, these close in economic issues, and uh, similarly in other developed nations. And you know I, that that does make sense. It's a long list uh, of worries, though, Dana, that can keep people up at night. Yes, <laughs> Dana, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure, thanks, Steve. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in economics, geopolitics, public policy, ESG, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues and your friends and your family. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You've been listening to a podcast from the Conference Board, the indispensable ally that has helped businesses through war, recession, and economic transformation for over 100 years. As recent unexpected economic challenges persist, you can chart a course for the future, which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side. 
just visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession, located at www.conference-board.org slash topics slash recession.